Hello, welcome to the Life Done Differently podcast with me, Neil Whitten, and my co-host, Ray Richards. Join us on our journey to find out what separates the doers from the thinkers. Derek Sivers is a man with his own mind. To describe him as a musician, circus clown, entrepreneur, programmer, author, speaker, philosopher and dad might whet your appetite, but it would only be part of the story. Whatever Derek does, he rarely does it on autopilot. He has a knack for questioning things. His beliefs are less likely to be a story he's inherited and more likely to be a useful experience he's gained. He listens to himself and when what he does fails to resonate, he notices it and explores the alternatives. He's learned to be unafraid of hierarchies, unafraid of complimenting people, and understands the considerable benefits of doing things differently when things don't feel quite right. Don't try and put Derek in a box. I discovered Derek's How to Start a Movement TED Talk over 10 years ago and have been recommending it ever since. It was a genuine pleasure to speak with him. Uh, His voice seems so familiar. Uh, He seems very clear that he learns from the people he respects and the material they recommend, but it seems to me the lessons unlock something he already knows. He's not a man to change his mind because someone simply tells him something. I've enjoyed every conversation on this podcast, uh, at least the ones we've released, but this was a little bit special. There are some useful takeouts, the power we all have to influence others, if we're respected, the influence of negative motivation in our lives, or put another way, I'm not going to be like him or her. In Derek's case, he was driven to not be like the best musicians at school who very early on traded the chance of doing what they loved for a day job. There are many other takeouts for me, but the biggest was sort of left hanging, which is understandable given it's the subject of the book that Derek's in the middle of writing. It seems to me his thesis is that we can benefit from adjusting the threshold for beliefs from being true to being useful. To me, this makes huge sense. True sounds like permanent, unwavering and inflexible. Useful, on the other hand, sounds impermanent, adjustable and flexible. Our beliefs are a product of our history. Growing up, we inherit them from the people around us. And if we're awake and noticing and not on autopilot, our experiences provide us with the opportunity to shape or change them. But what if we understood that the key is behavioural flexibility, which simply explains that taking risks is often useful, but sometimes playing it safe is the way to go. Being assertive is useful, And sometimes letting others assert themselves is the best approach. Planning ahead is useful and sometimes spontaneous is, and so on. It seems clear to me that Derek's next book is a step on from his last book, How to Live, which he describes as a book of conflicting philosophies. If you're into the world of polarities or duality, you'll recognise the link. Derek describes himself as a pop philosopher, but really, he's just a philosopher. He didn't consider the academic route, and we're all the better for that. The constraints would have choked him before he got to the first corner. As with all good dialogue, this conversation left me with as many questions as it did answers. I hope we get the chance to continue the conversation. Enjoy. Derek Sivers, 
the usefulness of opposites. Anyway, yeah. okay, I'm, I got my cup of water. I'm ready. Okay. All right. Okay. Go Derek, on it, it is an absolute pleasure. Um, I, I really, actually, I'm going to start by just saying I really appreciate the fact that we've been emailing on and off for quite a few years, actually, really yeah. sporadically. But you've, you've always been so good at, at coming back and, um, and entertaining me. And, um, <laughs> and, but, it's, but it's amazing that you do that. And then I, I read something um, on your blog, and I made a note of it because I thought it'd be an interesting one to just start with. Um, I think this was 2018. You answered 92,000 emails from 33,000 people in the year of 2018. I was probably one of those people. Um, yeah. How do you do that? How? Okay, well, yeah, first, actually, I want to start to say that I was actually looking forward to meeting you. We were talking oh, about you great. guys coming up from Brighton to Oxford. That's right. And, exactly. uh, I'm sure we would have by now if, if COVID hadn't hit and sent me back to New Zealand. I loved living in Oxford. I was planning to stay there for at least 12 years till my kid was 18. And well, uh, I was going to I was, I was, I was going to combine it with seeing my son who was there at university. So that was a while ah. ago. Not not yeah. at the not at the Oxford University, but you know <laughs> <laughs> the other one, uh, the one that wins the boat but, race. <laughs> um, but yeah, so uh, then COVID hit and sent me back to. New Zealand. So sorry, we didn't get the chance to meet. But uh, so yeah, back to your question. I, I find that emails, um, you can make shortcuts for yourself. Uh, there are programs that can help you do what they call macros. So yeah. if you find yourself typing certain sentences or entire phrases, uh, you can assign them to a hotkey. So I, I found that um, I don't use big generic form letters ever. But certain sentences and paragraphs I have assigned to hotkeys. So for me, going through my emails, just kind of like scan, 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 send, send. So it takes me about five or 10 seconds each. And I enjoy it because honestly, most of them are really nice. Um, almost no complaints. I mean, God, like one a week. I get like one nasty email a week. I don't mind that. Um, and I meet the most interesting people, like people introduce okay. themselves to me saying that they saw my video or read my book and uh, I'm a guitar builder in Slovenia or I'm a, you know, uh, I, I build fishing boats in Darwin, Australia. And I think how cool that I'm like, you know, talking with a guy that yeah. builds fishing boats in Darwin, Australia. That's badass. And, and uh, it's just so rewarding for me. I just I really love when people introduce themselves to me. From around the world what have, have any interesting friendships or interesting um adventures come about from from yeah. you answering those emails infinite <laughs> um romances uh friendships uh god yeah like two or three of the big loves of my life wow. came from a cold email uh you know somebody saying that she heard my stuff and was moved and this you is me. Should, and I was you like, oh my you God, should not impressive. be saying this. You should not be saying this. this that, 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 <laughs> that. <laughs> uh, but, you know, so it actually goes the other way, too. So I have this page on my website where I show all the notes from the books that I've read. And, I, and um, so my favorite books, I always contact the author and I'll say, uh, hi, my name's Derek. I, I read your book. I absolutely loved it. I loved this about it. I loved that about it. Thank you for writing it. 
this is so good. And a few times that started a friendship with the author, um, whether it's a book or sometimes even just an article. So I met um, Mark Manson years ago because I just loved his writing. This is before he had his book called The, the Subtle Art of yeah, Not Giving a Fuck. Giving a fuck. Um, so I just loved his articles and uh, just contacted him just saying, I just love the way you write. You're one of the best writers I've ever read. And he said, oh, my God, I love the way you write. So like, we met up in Thailand <laughs> and hung out. And so on the back of his uh, book, well, actually, before he even got the book deal, uh, we, he and I were talking about uh, publishers. And I introduced him to my publisher at Penguin. And uh, he ended up not going with Penguin, but that helped that he had you know multiple publishers interested. So on the back cover of that subtle art book was a big blurb from me uh, oh, because what... we were friends before that book. And um, yeah, same with Tim Ferriss. After reading the four hour work week, I just contacted him. was like, dude, this is great. This made a big difference. And he said, hey, you're in San Francisco. Let's hang out. So that's um, amazing. That, but that's interesting, and, isn't it? Because it's yeah. just about not being afraid. It's not hmm. a thing. It's not. It's about not thinking that they're, you know, Pedestals. that's right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You got to kind of break down the pedestal and say, all right, this is just another writer who put their ass on the line yeah, and yeah. is sharing their soul with the world. Yeah. And everybody loves to hear the acknowledgement that that this reached me, you know. So mm -hmm. every time I read a great book, I always contact the author to, to and, say, and, 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 and they you know, will know whether great. it's genuine or not. Of course. They, 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 they mean, know straight away, it, reading what you've, you know, the email that you've written to, they will know whether you're blowing smoke up there, you know, or not. But why Why would anybody? I mean, it's the only reason somebody would blow smoke is if it's like, hey, I really loved your book, and I'd love to have you as part of our program that you can mm -hmm. join for $1,000. Mm -hmm. That's know. what I mean. Uh, yeah, but other than that, it's, yeah. you could tell that somebody's That's right. quite really, sincere if they take the time to write an email. Really quickly, yeah. yeah. We had um, a, a guest years ago. You, you'll probably know him, Bruce Daisley. He was... Um, he mm. was uh, the CEO of Twitter UK for for quite some time, and I think YouTube before that. Um, really interesting guy, and he talked about this idea of using the middle lane, and what he meant by that is that he had found that there were ways of reaching certain people, achieving certain things, doing things in the world by taking a route that most people wouldn't take. So the example he gave was um, that in an early job that he really didn't have the qualifications for and and didn't stand out for he he drew a cv so the the cv was pictures mm. with some Car explanation cartoons um, wasn't it yeah and it's kind of it got him noticed and that was enough for a conversation that sort of led from one thing to the next thing to the next thing feels like there's a sense of that in it, it probably doesn't feel like that for you today but in what you're describing it makes me wonder how long have you been doing this and is it something hmm. you learn? You know, did you did you pick it up somewhere? Can you can you take it back to 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 some moment maybe? Hmm. Hmm. I think the de hierarching. I'm I'm really glad that you brought that up. It's um, I think it all comes down to that that years ago, maybe because I was running CD Baby and I had the contact information of the musicians who were sending me CDs, um, whenever I'd hear an album that I loved, I'd just find a way to contact the musician 
and say like, I love this album. I love what you did with the chord changes in the middle of this. I love how you kept going back from major to minor to major and minor again. Like, that's so cool. I love what you did in the production of this song. And like, I'd give really specifics, like tell them what I loved about it. So that, that, and, that's, that's about transparency, right? It's just about that's what you're feeling. That's what you're thinking. Why not share it with them? Yeah, which probably, zooming out, it's a mix of two things. Um, we've all heard that we're supposed to uh, have a gratitude journal or, you know, feel uh -huh. gratitude nightly or acknowledge your gratitude. But I think I also have this belief that if you're thinking something nice about somebody, you should tell them. So every now and then I may just think something nice about an old friend that I haven't talked to in years and, uh, you know, laugh at something he said years ago or something like that. And I'll just ring up an old friend, like just, you know, just call out of the blue, you know, phone rings. It says Derek Sivers, you know, phone number that hasn't rung in five years and just tell them that I'm thinking something nice about them. And it even goes with strangers. If I see a stranger on the street yeah, that's got a great hat or... Uh, <laughs> amazing freckles i've always had freckle envy um <laughs> then uh i had freckles as a kid and i didn't want to have freckles but uh, you know i know it's that, that's a thing right it's like <laughs> people with freckles go oh god i wish i didn't have them and yeah. i've never had freckles i'm swedish i wish i had freckles <laughs> so what you're yeah. anyway so i just thought it was i should always tell them you should tell if you're thinking something nice about somebody you should tell them so here's the the key lesson most people don't hear enough nice things yeah it's an it's a it's a beautiful trait and i and i i say that in a deliberate way because it is and most people don't do it do you think have you learned to do it well can you track it back to cd baby and go yeah maybe there was a moment where or, or, or does it does it start earlier than that was it embedded as a child what where where does that sort of trait come from probably when i was a teenager i read the old book by Dale Carnegie called uh, "How to Win Friends and Influence, Influence People. People." Yeah, but but that which is such a terrible title. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's really it, 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 audience. If you haven't read the book yet, just imagine it's called "How to Be Considerate." I think "How to Be Considerate" would have been a much better title for it. But it's it's a masterpiece. It's a classic. I mean, it's old. It's written in the 1930s. Yeah. So the uh, its usage of English and its examples it gives are a little. Uh, corny you know so you just kind of have to imagine somebody speaking it like this you know uh because that was the uh the parlance of the times but if you can get through that everybody should read that book called how to win friends and influence people but and, my, uh, but my, gu my guess it, my guess is that didn't transform it just reconfirmed what you probably were already thinking anyway that this is a good way to behave in the world it, it didn't... No, I think it probably transformed. I think it transformed my actions. I don't think I would have done it before reading that book. I think oh, wow, it made me okay. go, oh, people, that's a good point. People do need to hear more nice things. Everybody loves it. I, you know, I'm a guy. I never get compliments. Guys don't get compliments. <laughs> um, although although so... I do like your uh, red uh, polo neck there. That's looking, that's looking oh, pretty thank good. Yeah. And we love the sound <laughs> that I practice well. with. Yeah. <laughs> I, we I love the sound booth, yeah. You, so let's just let's just zoom in on books for a second. So you yeah. you are um, a fanatic reader. You, you've got two hundred odd books that you've um, written about on your website. You've reviewed and 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 given them. Uh, 
Is it something like but that? To be fair, that's since 2007. I'm not like a fanatic reader. I know there's some people that just read two books a week or whatever. That's Those are all the books I've read since 2007. Okay. So I think I, I read it maybe a little more than average, but definitely not a fanatic reader. I, I heard um, in a, another podcast conversation, I think, that you read Tony Robbins' book, the, uh, Awakening the Giant Within, um, at a relatively young age. And I think mm -hmm. I remember hearing you talking about that being quite a transformation moment for you. Can mm -hmm. you talk to that for a second? What, what I'm particularly interested in is it, it sounds like books are acting as a lever of change for you. I don't know if they oh, do that for yeah. everybody, but I'm really interested to hear a bit more about how, how do you think about the role that books play in, in not just learning and thinking, but doing? I mean, let's not um, over-focus on books themselves, you know, bound paper. Mm -hmm. um, all that really matters is getting the ideas from one person's head into another. So some people these days, a friend of mine is only 22 and just doesn't read books, you know, only watches YouTube. And to me, YouTube is trash. Mm. But to him, he's like, no, there's a lot of good stuff out there. You got to know how to find it. Uh, you just ignore the trash. And I went, wow, okay. Like I'm, I'm trying to open my mind to the idea that YouTube can be an effective communicator of wisdom from one head to another. Um, for some people, they just read lots of articles. They won't sit and read a book, but they'll read many, many articles. And of course, and clearly for lots of people, it's podcasts that podcasts have changed people's lives. Um, but yeah, for me, it's books, maybe because, um, Hmm. Well, let's just say my age. It's what I, I had gonna, at the time. I was going to say you grew up. You grew up with books. Was the thing. That's how you yeah. found information out. You went to the library. You, you know, yes. you were at school. You know. Your parents maybe. I don't know whether they were into books or not. But um, yeah, that would have been the. It, it was before way. the internet. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, um, so maybe I just got used to the idea that the best wisdom is in books. Also, I really appreciate even now that how commercial free they are, right? So even if you say there's a lot of good wisdom on YouTube, you've also got to be bombarded by the, the interruptions and the ads or even, you know, the, the in uh, video sponsored thing, you know, hey, everybody. So, you know, let me tell you some wisdom. But first, today's talk is sponsored by ClimbingGear.com. Um, so I like how commercial free books are uh that just commercialism just doesn't enter into it but that's interesting isn't it because you you can pay for youtube and not get the sponsor the, you know the advertising but we don't but yeah, we pay, I, but we I actually pay do for books for my kid but yeah i'm i do uh it's interesting seeing commercial free youtube but still there's the um Actually, it's a distracting point, I was going to say, but even just the way that they're made, you can tell that they're made in order to get the sponsored views or just like, you know, they, they make sure that the length is at least 10 minutes so they get more income. But then I, as soon as I was going to say that, it's like, well, a lot of publishers make sure those books mm. are 300 pages so you can see the spine on the shelf. So exactly right, right. maybe I should shut up about that. Okay, but let's get back to the real point that no matter what medium you use to get ideas from one person's head into yours. Um, then it's about just how 
motivated or driven you are to act on it. So I read Tony Robbins' Awaken the Giant Within at a really formative age of 19. Um, and it was recommended to me by somebody that I loved a lot. It was really like a dear mentor to me, said, you should read this. Uh, this changed my life. You are going to love this. And so with that weight behind it, I uh -huh. poured over every word like this is it. And also I was at the time extremely driven to be a successful musician. Like I was a single focused mission in my life. I'm going to be a successful musician. So I thought that reading this Tony Robbins book could help give me what it takes to be that one in a million successful musician because you know that's something that everybody wants everybody wants to be a rock star but only one in a million get it and I was like I'm going to be the one that gets it so yeah I poured over every word and really ingested every idea to take it seriously like I'm going to do this I'm going to learn this mindset I'm going to learn this mentality I'm going to do it and that's that's the next dimension of what we're interesting interested in around how and why people change and how that's how that's happened with you so i'm just going to play back what i've heard it's not the book it's the ideas that makes a ton of sense but then from there it's not just the ideas it's how motivated you are to do something with them and the fact that a mentor had given you that with real weight behind it probably helped with your motivation but it also sounds like there was a lot of motivation dormant ready does, is that yeah. fair? Yeah, exactly. So can we can we go there for a minute? Tell us about that motivation. So let's 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 start as the the version of Derek that was looking to be a um, a musician. Sure. Where did that start? Um, what what were you feeling, <laughs> and, and and how might that have been different to other people around you at the time? Um. Do you guys ever talk about negative motivation? Like yeah. the, the motivation of moving away from yeah. something. So yes, at the age of 14, I picked up a guitar and stepped on a distortion pedal and went, oh, fuck yeah. <laughs> like, I love this sound. You know, the, the sound of a teenage soul coming through that distortion pedal. Um, but also I just, maybe it's just like an introvert. I just... I loved sitting alone in my room for hours practicing finger exercises, arpeggios and scales. And this was like, you know, late 80s. I was doing the heavy metal guitar thing. Uh, and I just loved that. And I got social reward from it immediately because I was really good at it. Um, so after just one summer of practicing, I showed up at school again in the autumn and uh, everyone's like, dude, you fucking rock. Hey, everybody, <laughs> check him out. Derek's fucking awesome. Um, <laughs> so I got the social reward and, uh, and I just loved doing it. So I'm like, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to be a musician. Um, and, uh, but yeah, that's just my tale. But like, I think like the takeaway lesson from this is it doesn't really matter what you pursue. It helps everything though, to have something you're pursuing whether you just want to be great at chess or you want to be great at parkour or you want to be a heavy metal guitarist or uh, whatever it may be, 
to have something that you're pursuing that you're kind of focusing yeah. your energy and ambition on that is something if you don't that's ha- driving you forward because if you don't have that any road will get you there you know it's, right it's, you, and then you're just adrift and exactly you're adrift you're lost and 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 yeah and it, and it doesn't matter it doesn't that i mean I, I, we, we've talked about goals before and you know goals they're not everything but they allow you to take the next step yeah hmm i like the physical metaphor of thinking of a mountain peak in the distance you know that if you can actually imagine one of those places if you live in a place that has mountains uh i think most of us don't that'd be interesting to find out like the percentage of people on earth that live within sight of a mountain or not um i think most don't it feels kind of rare to have like a mm. an actual like mountain in the distance but when you do you can see it from everywhere uh no matter where you are you can always just turn your head you know unless there's a tree in the way but for the most part the few steps you can see that mountain in the distance and metaphorically then that can become the thing that you're like that's where i'm going so no matter what else happens in life something pushes you astray you know there's a road closed here you need to go a bit west even though you know you're headed north like there it is there's the mountain that i'm going towards um you could it keeps you focused and driven whereas on the other hand if you're just like i don't know i just want to go somewhere mm. but that, that that's but, motiva- then, that, that, but that's yeah. motivation isn't it just so uh, clear, Derek right. is now m- m- wandering around his booth. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, um, so yeah, I think that having anything that you're shooting towards then makes you filter all of the incoming information from the world through that mission. So that's me reading a Tony Robbins book at 19 that has nothing to do with music. Mm. But everything I'm reading, I'm applying it to like, how can I use this to be a successful musician? Mm. Um, and it you, kept you, me focused on that. Can, can I just take you? Sorry, go, no, go on. You, you, I, I just want to take you back to that. Was it 14 year old version of Derek? And mm. you, you're, you, you've learned um, some, some finger technique in your room and then you go into school and, and you get some social reward. And, and that spurs you on a bit more. Um, so many other kids would have done a lot of the same things and still not ended up pursuing that. Like they wouldn't have, maybe they saw that they saw, they saw the mountain peak and they imagined it and maybe they got a bit of social reward, you know, maybe they went so far along the journey, but maybe they got distracted. Who knows what it was, but they, but they didn't continue. They they didn't get to a point where they felt they could call themselves a, a, a musician and you did. What was different? Thanks for coming back to that. That was the negative motivation that I had a couple other, I won't even say friends. There were a couple other guys in high school that were great musicians, but then got sucked into the domestic life. That um, the guy that used to be like the best guitarist in school, I saw him like as soon as he graduated, he's like, yeah, well, you know, got to get a job, you know, and uh, my girlfriend and I are going to move in together. So, you know, yeah. I want to start to save money to have a baby. And, you know, yeah, I play guitar every now and then, but, you know, got a job laying pipes for the village of Hinsdale, you know. And and then there was another one, too. Um, 
that had a similar path. And these guys were my massive, massive, massive negative motivation. I'd say like all the way from the age of like 16 to God, probably well into my early 20s. I was so driven to not be them. Uh, you know, I was like, no, never. And so, you know, no wonder I didn't have like a steady girlfriend uh, because I had negative associations with that. Like, oh, no, that's the beginning of getting sucked into that domestic life. Like, no wonder I didn't have a pet or a house or, uh, God, even a job. I, I what, had negative what, associations what? with having a Why? job. Why? What was wrong with that? What was wrong with that path? Because that would get you sucked in to depending on the job, you know? So I, I mean, I had like, okay, most people don't have this terminology, but as a musician or probably anybody who's hoping to make a living with creative stuff, there's this term day job. You know, day job is meant as like, yeah, I'm doing this from nine to five just to pay the bills, but like, it's just for now. My real life is this stuff after five o'clock. Mm. Okay, so, so, you know, so the music, so, the writing, the whatever. So the the the, the music, um, let's call it career. Maybe it's the wrong word, mm -hmm. but the life as a musician was something you. Why did you want to be a musician? Is it because it, it gave you freedom? Is it, be, you know, is mm. it because it made you popular with girls? Is it, you know, why, why no. was, was it because you just love playing? I think it was self-actualization. Yeah. Okay. In hindsight. I mean, it's funny, you know, you guys must have this. Like anytime you ask somebody why, you can't really trust their answer. Most of us don't even know why. <laughs> no, no, exactly. Why yeah. did I get a dog? Huh? I mean, I yeah, can yeah. tell you some answer, but it's probably bullshit. Yeah. Um, so now you ask about, you know, me back in 1985. <laughs> why yeah, yeah. Did I did something? Who knows? Who knows? <laughs> but um, but in, in hindsight, or maybe in my little storytelling, it feels like it was the, the drive of self-actualization. You know, how, how tall does a tree grow? as tall as it can everything in nature uh has a uh an unspoken uh drive to just be all it can be mm. uh, every plant grows as big as it can every animal gets as you know healthy so, as it can be uh so, so, so it was, it was to me about, it was just that drive so it, it was and i don't want to put words in your mouth and you won't let me know i know but you know it, it it's sort of <clears throat> it's something about curiosity it's something about adventure it's something about stepping into the unknown it's challenge challenge that's self-challenge yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, it's, it's give uh, yourself a mission like i'm going to do this thing and then it's like yeah. let's see if i can do that it's not safety comfort zone the known stability so hell no so was there something you were reacting to I mean, what was your, what, 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 you know, what, what did your parents do? Did you grow up with your parents? Um, yeah. I mean, they weren't a big influence on my life. Um, I think it helped that um, I grew up thinking we were rich, but rich in the definition of, you know, like upper middle class, fine. Um, only found out later that we weren't. Uh, I thought we were. So I, I, point is i thought there was a safety net <laughs> that i there wasn't a fear of um you know being destitute if i didn't get rich um 
I thought I'd be fine. I could fall back on the grandparents or whatever. So that helped a lot. Um, but no, I think it was a lot of that drive was just the negative motivation from not wanting to be those musicians that gave up and joined the regular world. It's like, no, I'm going to challenge myself to be that one in the million that actually does this thing. Let's. I'm going to park old Derek and come to today, Derek, and I'm going to move backwards and forwards if that's okay. <laughs> like, so yeah. let's go back to, to the Derek of now. When you meet people for the first time and they ask you that horrid question of what do you do, how, uh, how, do, you, how do you answer it today? Um, it depends if I want to engage them in conversation or not. My favorite short answer if I don't want to talk to somebody, as I say, I'm a programmer. And most people at that point will go, oh. That's huh, nice right. for you. Let, yeah. Let's move on to the but guy next door. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But what's fun is if they actually know their stuff with tech and they're just like, oh, what kind of programming do you do? Yeah, you, know, right. you do backend, you do database, you do. I'm like, oh, really? Are we going to talk tech? Okay, now this is fun. Because <laughs> I actually really enjoy talking tech. Like, I, you know, um, programming is a huge part of my life. I spent a massive chunk of my life uh, programming in SQL and Ruby. And I love it. Uh, love it, love it, love it. Uh, so if somebody actually wants to talk tech, that's great. But for most people, it just shuts down the conversation right there. But if I'm talking to somebody that I care about, or let's just say that I am interested to have a real conversation with, then I'll tell them I'm an author. Then I have to get ready for the next question, which is, oh, what kind of books do you write? And so my short answer now is pop philosophy. Ah, and that makes them go, hmm, pop philosophy, what does that mean? And then I have to say, oh, you know, my uh, one book was on creative and considerate fame. One book was about what's worth doing. My last book was about how to live. My next book is about beliefs that are useful, not true. And they go, wow, okay. And then that's, you know, <laughs> then you just look at their blank look of like, oh, hell, what do we talk about now? So um, that's how it usually goes. Do you remember when you started to, um, if you wanted to engage, to, to answer as an author? Hmm. I think about two years ago. So that two was years after... ago is when I released, yeah, you... when I put out those two books in a, in a row, uh, Your Music and People and Hell Yeah or No, I put out those two books at the same time, thinking they would just generate a few thousand dollars to help pay for the cost of printing, but they did really well. And suddenly I'm like, oh, damn, I guess I'm officially an author now. But am I right that you'd written a number of other books before that? Not really, no. There's, there's the book called uh, Anything You Want that I wrote in 2011 and was republished by Penguin in 2015. Uh -huh. And then I just bought back the rights and re-released it this year, 2022. Um, that was my first book. Then I have Your Music and People and Hell Yeah or No, uh, which I wrote few years ago and then how to That's live it. which i published last year so those are my four books so far if you go to there used to be a like a 32 other books on amazon that was i was the producer of a series of books uh i called wood egg which is about uh i was trying to understand the culture of 16 different countries in asia so i was the producer that hired like 185 writers and researchers to put together the information. It was my name on it because I was the impresario that made it happen. But I didn't write those books. I just kind of produced them. Got it. Okay. When you 
started to make that transition towards writing because you've you've always written is my understanding or certainly for a long long time but not necessarily as books but um online yes etc when you um when you started to think about writing the first book what was driving you towards that easy answer seth godin asked me to i thought you were going to say that because i've actually got it written down i've got a copy of the book it came in the post literally the other day and um it's nice to have it in my hands i've I've read it online but it's nice to actually be able to read it in a physical physical version but it says dedicated entirely to seth godin this book only exists because of his encouragement and i was really intrigued by that tell us more sure uh i had no interest in writing a book uh i don't put any ego into the idea of being a published author. I didn't care about that at all. I was thoroughly happy to just get thoughts from my brain to yours by using the internet, you know, just blogging. Uh, That's enough. It's very friction free. It just Mm -hmm. puts the words from my head into yours without even you needing to buy anything. Just here, here's some words, read it. There you go. Um, so I'd never intended to do a book. People had asked me for years to do a book. I always said no. But then one day I got uh, a phone call from a number I didn't recognize. I picked up the phone and, Derek, it's Seth Godin. Like, oh, my God. Hi. <laughs> and he said, look, I'm starting a new publishing company and I want you to be my first author. I went, okay. <laughs> and he said, yeah, it's, it's going to be short, just 11,000 words. Um, maybe, you know, the story of how you started and built and sold CD Baby. I said, all right. I said, so you're in? I said, yeah. He said, okay, great. I said, thanks. He said, uh, so I, I wrote the book in 11 days and wow. uh, handed it to him. He said, this is great. Uh, he said, I'm going to call it anything you want. I said, Ugh, uh, all right. It's <laughs> a weird title. Sure, whatever. And uh, he released it a month later, and that was that. So did you know Seth before Simple. that? We had met a couple times, yeah. I went up to, uh, he lives about an hour north of New York City. And I had gone up and shared a meal with him and met a couple times. And is it fair to say then that his input is similar to the input that we were talking about from the mentor that you described before? That So there was an amount of gravitas to his nudge in a direction. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess we all have a version of that, right? Like we all have... There's somebody that could call you up and say, I want you to do this. Uh, and I'm, you'd I'm, say, I'm, okay. I'm not sure we do all have that. Oh, come on. No, that somebody, like, if, you know, the uh, the president of, you know, some country called you up and said, I want you to be in charge of this, you'd go, okay. But that doesn't actually happen. There are a lot of, you know, there are a lot of people around the world and I'm, you know, and I'm not talking about necessarily the people, even the people that will listen to this. Um, but there are lots of people out there who don't have that in their life. They don't, they never get that phone call. They never say, try, oh, reading, no. try reading this book. No, I think, no, I, I, that's why I was so surprised at it too. I mean, that's why the story is, is almost laughable. You know, why did you write a book? Because, OMFG, Seth Godin called and said, I'm starting a new publishing company and yeah. I want you to be my first author. So I guess the, the message... Hell? How do you say, ever say I, no to that? I, I yeah. guess the message to all of us, in a way, is to be that person. 
you know, mm. be that be that person that recommends that book or ask somebody to do something, somebody believing that can do something that maybe hasn't done it before. To to be mm. that, I, you know, what is that person? I don't know. Is it a mentor? Is it a you know, it can, you're right. We're talking at this level. Like Seth Godin was, is a hero to me. I looked up to him for so many years, loved all of his books, poured over every word he wrote. I just look up to him as a person too, mm. you know, not just his, for his books. Um, but it can happen on a medium scale too. You know, like when I was in a band uh, in New York City and like asked this guitarist I heard playing. is just like, you are awesome. I want you to be in my band. He's like, really? He's like, yeah, you're amazing. I love the way you play. I love the way that you did this with a little, you know, the, and it like got really specific and told him what I loved about his playing. I said, I'd really like you to be in my band. And Yeah. And um, that, that goes back to what exactly what you were saying earlier. You know, you, you will stop a, a lady in the street or a guy in the street and say, I love that hat, you know, or you look, you know, yeah. whatever it is, you know, it, it's what comes into your mind that positivity that's in your mind, you share it. Yeah, because there's this core belief, most people don't hear enough nice things. And so if you're thinking something nice about somebody, you should tell them. Yeah, why not? Yeah, get over your, it's not about you. That's um, right. Uh, you know, or, yeah. or just leave it, leave, you know, I don't know, hand them an envelope <laughs> with something scribbled <laughs> inside it and don't, you know, and they'll open it later. But it's, you know, it's, it's, it, as you say, it's not about you. It's about sort of encourage. It's about us encouraging each other um, mm. to go out and, you know, maybe do the stuff that we want to do, but fear failure. Mm. Yeah. I mean, anytime you give somebody a compliment like that, you're really being vulnerable. Yes, that's right. And that's why when you receive a compliment, and sorry, this is a very un-English uh, opinion, <laughs> that you should just take it by saying thank you. Mm. Because when somebody gives you a compliment, you have to acknowledge how vulnerable that was of them yep. to come up and say this to you, even if it's just by email. So uh, I know the very common thing to do if somebody says, uh, you know, wow, I love that song you wrote. And we all immediately, um, you know, do the self-defacing kind of like, oh, no, no way, you know, that's, it's not, you know, God, I, you know, I, I should have done it better, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, it's really not one of my, not my best work. Um, which then is kind of insulting the person that just vulnerably came up to you to give you yeah. this compliment mm. to tell yeah. them that they're wrong, you know. Yeah, that's so right. So instead, yeah. when somebody gives you a compliment, you just say thank you. And what you're really doing is just saying thanks to them for having the, the balls, the, the courage, yeah, yeah, the balls <laughs> to, yeah. to use a technical term, yeah. um, to come up and say this to you. Yeah, and yeah. Ray, Ray said earlier when we were when we were talking about this point, um, confidence, uh, you, you know, building up the confidence to do it, and you described yourself, I think, as an introvert. So you have learnt the confidence to do this. Um, mm. I'm I'm really interested in understanding a bit more about where where do you think that confidence came from. Again, mm. did, did, were you born with some natural flair or was it learned? Mm -mm. No, definitely learned. Um, experience. Um, I gave myself 
a mission as a teenager, just scribbling in my notebook one day, and I wrote down this sentence, uh, whatever scares you, go do it, with the follow-on thought being, because then you won't be scared anymore. <laughs> that, uh, And I've followed that ever since. And in fact, I love that idea so much, I even made it a, uh, a lullaby for my kid that I would sing him every night to oh, sleep. Wow. It's like, whatever scares you, go do it, because then you won't be scared anymore. And I follow that um, for both little and big decisions in life. So little decisions, like the ones we're talking about right now, approaching a stranger through any medium to tell them uh, a compliment, a sincere one. Uh, that's a little like, oh, this scares me. Oh, therefore I should go do it, <laughs> right? Like it's just this rule of thumb. That's what rules of thumb are good for. They're like little things that you keep in your pocket uh, that you carry with you everywhere. Um, and then even in the big life decisions, you know, like huge decision, like my decision to leave America and never go back was the scarier option to me. I could have just stayed in my comfort zone in Los Angeles or New York City two places that are big comfort zones to me. Or I could challenge myself, like when I thought about like, what if I were to leave America and just keep pushing out into the world and never come back? And I was like, oh, that's scary. So it's like, there you go. Whatever scares you, go do it. That was a, a very bright um, statement to write, again, at, at, at that kind of age. And I, again, I know I'm asking a lot because it's hard to go back there and it's hard to remember what's going on and there's all the stories and all the rest of it. But what was driving you to think like that at that age? It might have helped that... Um, I remember sitting in the back of a uh, psychology class, like a basic psychology 101, where we learned about Abraham Maslow. So while Freud was studying sick people trying to find out why they were mentally deranged... Abraham Maslow was studying the world's healthiest people, trying to find out why they were so damn healthy. Um, I remember he studied Einstein and Eleanor Roosevelt and people like that to figure out, like, how did they succeed? You guys couldn't relate to this at all. Um, and um, <laughs> so uh, he made this pyramid of self-actualization that he used to describe, like, okay, we have these um, foundational things, food and shelter, and as you move up, a sense of belonging, love and at the very tippy top of the pyramid he called that self-actualization like this drive to be your uh ultimate self your your best self and um okay so i loved that i mean like basically you know slumped in the back of a class listening to stories of bf skinner's uh fox and pavlov's dogs and none of that was interesting. But when they started talking about Abraham Maslow, I went, ooh, okay, this is interesting. Like trying to be all you can be. This is, I like this. So Abraham Maslow had this great uh, phrase that he was kind of a guideline that he shared with the world from what he had learned from studying healthy people, which is, he said every day or a hundred times a day, you're presented with the choice between safety and risk. And he said, make the growth choice a hundred times a day. And I liked that idea, which is like every single day, just little tiny moments, the decision to speak to somebody or not, the decision to raise your hand and say, yes, I'll volunteer or not. Um, the decision to 
leave your comfort zone to get out of a rut or not. Uh, we have these choices 100 times a day. So I think maybe just as a 15 or 16-year-old, I read that. And it was probably tied in with my desire to be a successful musician. Mm. That's why I strongly like prescribe this to anybody, even to my kid. Like my kid's only 10, but someday really soon, like he needs to pick something and it doesn't matter what it is, you know, mm. to be a, a gymnast or a gardener or whatever. But like to, when you've got something that's driving you like that, you start to like look for things to help you be your best self so that you can achieve this thing. And when you've stepped Sorry. out of your comfort zone, when you've gone into the unknown, when you've taken risks, however you want to describe it, um, I'm assuming that there have been moments, periods, maybe even long periods where you've gone, what the fuck am I doing? This is hard work. Why have I done it or not? Hmm. No, I think I always know why. I don't ask why. I think when it's hard work, it feels like, <laughs> like, ha-ha, this is the shit that separates the men from the boys. You know, like, yeah. this is the stuff that would uh, knock off the competitors. This is the stuff that most people won't go through, but I am. I'm going to do it. And, and, you, and, and so presume, I think I would get excited to that. And you know that because you've been there, done it, and each time you've been through it and it's worked out. Maybe that stuff is like, uh, I hear that from from books. I hear that, or I, or just kind of using your hunch. Like most people, anybody can say like, hey, I think I want to make an app. <laughs> I have an idea for an app I want to make. But most people won't go through the slog work of the hundreds of hours of coding and wireframes and A-B testing and all that stuff. Um, they won't go through it. They just want to just like have an idea and then yeah. go hang out with their friends and, you know. Because well, they, they, get, they get a chemical hit from the idea and just talking about it. Right. Not, not so I think any time you're doing the slog work, I, you, you, I think I, I've just associated the slog work with... Um, this is the stuff that most people wouldn't go through. And so I get this, even when it's hard, I know why I'm doing it is because this is what's necessary to get where I want to go. So I actually, in a weird way, get a bit of joy from it. Like, yep, I'm doing the labor, you know, it's like somebody can, who's uh, building uh, a uh, house. and I can keep going is what you're saying mm, to yourself. Mm -hmm. I can keep going. I know that you're, you know, that others are not going to keep going, but I'm going to keep going. And each time you've done that, it's worked out. There's a book by Erica LeMay, spelled E-R-I-K-A-L-E-M-A-Y, uh, called Almost Perfect. She's this uh, gold medal winning uh, acrobat, uh, contortionist, aerial artist, I think is the term. She flies through the air and uh, does this gorgeous like body work in the air so um she wrote a book about her mentality in training and it's part of this it's like i have a vision for where i want to be and all of this hard work i'm doing and all the pain that i'm feeling uh is the path to get there when i'm feeling the pain i know i'm on the right path 
to get mm-hmm. where I want to go. So it's she describes it better in her book. She's also kind of a hero to me um, in her approach to this stuff. So I highly recommend that book. Uh, and if you guys like it, you might. She's yeah, she's out there doing it. She would probably be a really interesting guest for you guys because her book called Almost Perfect um, really went into a lot of the kind of questions that you're asking me today. That's a lot of what her book is about. Yeah, great. Well, we'll definitely look that up. It sounds like from that early age, you've started playing this game with yourself. And so you're sort of treating life as a game where you're, mm. but, 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 but they're your rules. And so the mm. idea of um, go towards the thing that scares you is, is part of the game. And the idea that there is the mountain and I can see where it is and I'm going to keep going to get to, to the top of that mountain because that's where I'm going is part of the game. Mm-hmm. Have there been elements where the game hasn't served you, where you've really had to rewire the game, rethink the game? Mm. I'll, yeah, I'll, I'll, give you, I'll give you an example of what I'm thinking. So you sold your business. And often when people sell their businesses, they go through a period of, uh, someone was describing it to me as the tunnel. They go into the tunnel and it normally takes five years or so for them to come out the other side of the tunnel. I, I, I mean, I'm, I think that's going to be really different for different people, but, but I've experienced lots of people that have sold their businesses and have gone through a tunnel of sorts because they Wait, were sorry, so... Wait, sorry, what is the... Can you... Well, the, t- what the, is the tunnel? I think it's a, it's a metaphor, but it's you, you were so... You knew who you were and you defined yourself so much by what you did, how you did it, um, even what you did every day, you know, um, that that business became a big part of you. And then once it's not there, you have to start looking at yourself and figuring out who you are again mm-hmm. without that ingredient. And the tunnel is you going through that process. Okay. Hmm. Uh, some metaphors are self-explanatory. Some aren't. <laughs> um, yeah, sorry. Uh, you asked, as was there a... So, yes, I went through that too um, when I sold CD Baby. Uh, I chose to deliberately scramble it though like i like literally the day after i sold cd baby i started my next company called muckwork and i got right to work on it and after a few months i said wait a minute if i keep doing this i'm just going to be doing the same thing i've been doing for the last 10 Mm. years but with a new Mm. company name over my head um i don't want to do that i want to make a real change in my life so i deliberately scrambled it and i spent a couple years reversing all of my usual decisions. I, sorry, reversing, maybe inversing is what I mean. Um, meaning wherever I used to say yes to, I'd say no to. Whatever I used to say no to, I'd say yes to. And I, and at any of those dozen times a day where you've got a little decision to make, I would take the fork in the road that felt the most unlike me. <laughs> you know, like, well, uh, usually I do that, so therefore I'm going to go do this instead. Um and yeah, it sure did make a scramble in my life. I did a bunch of crazy stuff for a few years that l- scrambled all of my existing patterns and sent me off. And suddenly I'm living in Singapore, attending a Mongolian Chamber of Commerce meeting um, <laughs> and things like that that I never would have done. Uh, and it was, yeah, it was a wonderful scrambling. Um, and, and, but and, yeah. so, so you started muck work because that's what you would that's that's what you were kind of programmed at the time to do you know you're you you you've created a mm. business that business sold you know how to create a business so you start another business 
and that that idea that yeah. you're climbing climbing the mountain is maybe what you weren't feeling at the time is I reached the, the the top of that mountain. I might have actually reached it some time ago, and now there's another mountain to pursue. But this idea of scrambling in order to reprogram yourself is really fascinating because again, you're talking about that now as though it was a very deliberate act. Was it? Was it a deli- mm-hmm. deliberate act? And was that because very. you felt felt something? So did you just notice that something wasn't feeling right, and you responded to that in a and again in a kind of gamified way? Hmm. Yeah, I felt that I was doing the same thing I had been doing for 10 years, which is uh, on autopilot. Um, no, not not on autopilot, just like I mean, sometimes it's admirable. Paul McCartney keeps writing songs. Exactly right. Yeah. Um and so some people want that path. They want to keep like that would have been a completely valid path for me to take that in 2008 when I sold CD baby I could have started muckwork and I could have grown it into a big company and there were some people that did similar companies at the same time task rabbit yeah. uh, came up shortly after that and some others like that I'm forgetting the names right now and they sold for hundreds of millions of dollars to bigger companies like I think task rabbit sold to IKEA I think which is a surprise um, so yeah, Muckwork could have gone that path, and I could have made more money. Um, but you know, so what? So, but for some people, that's their values. They'd say, "Okay, this is what I'm good at, so therefore I'm going to keep doing this thing." Um, and I just have a slightly different value system. I said, "Okay, my value system is more like been there, done that. One more I've tried challenge. that. I now want let another me try challenge. Else. I want another challenge, and that's what that's the well, kick you get is out of." Um, <clears throat> learning it's expanding i really like expanding my sense of self i like expanding my self-identity to include other countries to include other skills uh to include other beliefs and paths taken even you know even with beliefs uh if you guys saw my last book called how to live yeah it's 27 different answers to the question of how to live your mm-hmm. life uh each one each chapter conflicting with all the others yeah. so some of those come very naturally to me there's a chapter on mastery you know pick something difficult and and master it that chapter was it was very much like that's derek like that's very much me and there are other chapters in there that are very not me but i've learned to adopt a different approach to life and that is a deeper joy to me is that expanding my self-identity to to fully adopt other ways of thinking about life so so what what's the um the polar opposite to how to mastery yeah um probably do nothing (laughs) uh my girlfriend of the last two years uh read the book and that was the chapter that she related to the most. She is like the opposite of me uh, and really values doing nothing almost in this. Um, what do we what do we call that thing where you go? Uh, is that Vipassana where you go sit for mm. 10 days? Yeah, uh, did, did it recently. Did it earlier this year? Oh, you did? Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> so 
she yeah, highly easy. values that. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and I don't, you know. Um, so learning to value doing nothing um, or just being hedonistic and just filling your senses with everything to say, you know what, future is just our imagination. The past is just a memory. All that really exists is right now. Yeah. So, Life so, is short. Just go fill your senses. You know? So do you think in any way that you're in a relationship with her because she is the the yin, you know, the yang to your no, yin to your yang. Is is that why we get into relationships? Because somebody else is sort <laughs> of providing that other you know, and you are to her. Yeah, that was the appeal. Uh, we broke up a few months ago. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, 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 the, uh, okay. It's too different. Yeah, sometimes they're, they're um, I think sometimes it can work. Uh, I think opposites can be intriguing. And sometimes opposites can balance each other out well. Um, but yeah. if you're, uh, if you're not feeling, if you can't relate, yeah, yeah. If you can't, if you anything. can't speak the same language, you're so you're so um, well. You can't relate. That's it. Yeah, I I was often lonely when I was with her. Yeah, uh, and she felt the same. And so after two years, we we broke up. But it was fascinating getting to know her. And just I mean, at almost every level, her values were completely different than mine yeah, yeah. on almost every subject, including uh, this, since you asked, like the opposite of mastery. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Um, uh, and, and and I think that's a, a real... Um, I think that's why it's so wonderful to put yourself in a position where you're hanging out with people that are so very different to you because mm, you you, mm -hmm. you can you can at the you, you don't have to you don't have to hang out with them all the time or forever but my god you can really learn from each other i i loved that about living in singapore i still wish i lived in singapore um my ex who i have a kid with uh doesn't like it there and so that's the only reason we're not there but singapore is such an interesting melting pot of asian cultures um Everybody's from somewhere else. You know, it's just this tiny little island that just, I think, only 200 years ago had basically no people. Um, and so everybody's come in from around the region. So you have the people from the uh, like South China, but also the Malaysians and Indonesians come up and the Philippines come in and the people come in from Bangladesh and India. And they're all together in this little melting pot of a tight island. And it's a fascinating place to uh be confronted with very different value systems every day. And in fact, that's why if any of you listening, if you've ever heard the the jokes, the, the kind of mean jokes about Singapore, saying that it's a, uh, a city full of cruel rules and high fines and all that, the reason Singapore has to be like that is because it's a small, dense place with so many massively different cultures in one place that there's no... Uh, agreement on common sense. Yeah. What somebody uh, deeply ingrained in a Chinese Confucian culture 
would believe is common sense is very different to what somebody gr that grew up in Indonesia would believe is common sense, which is yeah, very yeah, yeah. different to what somebody from the Philippines or well, I mean, uh, India would believe is common this sense. This is playing out at the moment with the World Cup, you know, Qatar. You know, it's just so, it's just incredible that, you know, we have very different understandings about what is right and what is wrong. And that's interesting because I, I remember spending time in Singapore and, you know, seeing, you know, signs saying no durians on the underground, <laughs> thinking, mm -hmm. why would anybody take a durian on the underground? It smells so awful. <laughs> but, but yeah, yeah, for some people that would just make come in Malaysia, it, it would make a lot of sense. You know, why not? Yeah. It's a uh, Malaysia's as soon as you cross the border into Malaysia, it's a much looser yeah. culture but then more of a monoculture i've known some people that uh a lot of people in fact that had to leave malaysia because they felt oppressed by the monoculture of malaysia um so yeah singapore is just fascinating for that so you know if you understand that the the tight rules are there because there's no sense of common sense um we have to follow written rules to the letter in order for us to all get along uh I think it's actually governmental genius and it works but yeah. uh, as long as you understand that's why it is the way it is it's such a great place to get to know a lot of people with very different uh, points of view. Yeah, I mean, we, we, Neil and I have talked about this on many occasions, but we sort of think that if you want to become, in our language, more behaviorally flexible, you know, if you want to expand your comfort zone, you know, go to new places. If you go to new yeah. places, you're going to be new, meet new people. I mean, by all means, stay in the same place and meet new people. But if you go somewhere else, you're going to meet new people. And then also, if you're yeah. going somewhere else, you have got this incredible opportunity to experiment with your own personality. You know, you can, uh, yeah. you, you, you leave New York, you leave Los Angeles, and you, and you go to New Zealand or Singapore anyway, you know, you don't know anybody. Nobody knows what you've been like in the past. You've got an opportunity to... Yeah just be different yeah i love that it's it's very american because america is such a big country with a, such a big variety in those states you know life in florida is very different from life in mm. maine it's very different from life in wyoming and um but you're allowed to just move to any of them no questions asked you know um so a lot of people do that in America. It's actually uh, when my ex and I broke up two or three months ago. This is the first time in my life I haven't moved the day after a breakup. Like literally every other breakup I've ever had in my entire life, I've literally moved to a new place the day we broke up. You know, that. you break up on a Tuesday, but that you is, move on a Wednesday. That's what that, you do. That's super interesting, isn't it? I mean, so you're you're really reacting. You're you're using it as. What what are you doing? Are you running away, or or are you sort of saying, um, "But this is an opportunity. This is a springboard. I bollocks. I can go off and mm. do what I want." Yeah, yeah. Um, opportunity to springboard. It usually just kind of coincides with, say, the living situation. Either you know, I was living at her place, she was living at my place. We break up. Just somebody moves out, um, and so I've always just. Yeah. So your boys, your boys' mum, uh, mm -hmm. lives in New Zealand. Yeah, just down the road. Yeah, okay. We have so, to stay close. We're both with him every week. So, so those those we have to live near. So the decisions where you live, you, you know, you're making them together. So you, it's not as if you're yeah. completely free to make the decisions you want. There is a there's a conversation that goes on, right? Yeah. For the next yeah. seven years. Yep. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and yeah. Uh, 
yeah, we have to make these decisions together because we both want to be with him every week. Yeah, yeah, great. He, he both he wants to be with both of us every week. So yeah, we yeah, have to yeah. agree on where to live. Yeah. And so did you buy the puppy? So he spent wanted to spend more time with you or <laughs> no, <laughs> fuck you. <laughs> no. Um, that's awful. No. It's uh no, we'd um actually we had a dog in England that we loved when we lived in, in Oxford. We had a dog that we loved dearly. And when um when COVID hit and we moved back to New Zealand, we had to let go of the dog. Oh, that's so sad. Oh, that's hard. So yeah, we had to so we uh gave yeah, gave the dog um away. And um so for the last two years, two and a half years, my boy's had no dog and he's just like, Aww. Could we please 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 have <laughs> a dog? And so like finally, like, yeah, the time was right. Uh I own a house here in New Zealand now. It's got a big yard. Uh it's it's December, which means summer is just beginning. So he's about to have a lot of free time on summer holidays. I was like, all right, nice. actually now's the right time to get a puppy. So, um, and yeah, whereabouts are you? Whereabouts are you in the North Island? I think you said Wellington. Ah, yeah, right, bottom okay. of the North Island. Yeah, Wellington, dead center. Right. Yep. Okay, so you you're not too far from the South Island. No. <laughs> <laughs> nice short ferry ride. Yeah. The the pop psychology, Derek. When and how did that come about? Oh, um. Wait, you mean the pop philosophy of my books or my interest yeah, in psychology? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The the well, you described earlier that you you said I, I'm an author. What kind of stuff? Pop philosophy. Ah, pop philosophy. Yeah, that I just realized that. Um, I think about a year ago, I think I realized that that's the. The gist of my books, even when I was writing about, um, starting and growing and selling CD Baby in my book called Anything You Want, uh, it was really in a way it was like a different philosophy of running a small business um yeah I, I kind of approached i approached it philosophically i don't even i don't have a I, as you can tell i'm extremely not academic i went to a music school <laughs> you know all, all of my interest in everything since getting out of music school has all just been self-directed from books i've done nothing in academia so I don't have a very robust, uh, defendable definitions of things like this. But to me, being philosophical usually means to me to like break something down to its essence and question it to its core, uh, and get get down to the root of it. So I think that I did that a lot with my business kind of asking myself constantly like why why am i really doing this like what's the real point the real point is to help musicians does it help musicians more if i do a bunch of advertising no it doesn't so why would i do it okay and i won't does it help musicians more if i put advertising on my site no so i won't do it does it help musicians more if i you know da, da, da. so like i'd keep using that as a guideline but then i'd ask myself but then why do I want to help musicians? Is that because I think it's a fun challenge? Because I think that they need it? Because I think they don't get enough help from the world? Because a lot of independent musicians are not very profitable? And so I'd, at every stage, I'd ask myself, why am I really doing things? And I'd break it down to its essence. And so because of that, I'd often make a decision that most people wouldn't make because it's not the norm. I don't usually just follow norms. I very often break things down to their essence and question why and come up with an answer that feels 
congruent to me or at least interesting. Um, so then it's the same with my next two books. So there was um, my book called Your Music and People was actually a collection of advice I'd been giving to musicians for years about uh, reaching their audience that in, in a way uh, does the same process. It's like, what is marketing really? Marketing is helping people connect with what you're doing. Mm. Well, what's a good way to do that? It's to be considerate, to first understand from their point of view, why are they going out on a Thursday night for drinks to hear live music? What are they really hoping to get out of this? Is it to hear your chord changes or, or is it to forget about their day, right? Um, so even you know, speaking with musicians about understanding things from the other point of other person's point of view, from your audience's point of view, and then you can start to see marketing as just another way of being considerate, that marketing means being considerate. You're helping them connect with you. And the better that you can help them connect with what you're doing, the better your, you know, so-called marketing. It doesn't mean spamming and advertising. And then in my book, Hell Yara No, I would spend quite a few years asking myself what's worth doing with this same kind of thought process. And so all in all, it's like, oh, I think that's like the common thread behind all of my books is uh, they're kind of philosophical, but not in any way that like what most people associate with philosophy is like, well, now let's talk about what Aristotle said about... <laughs> you know, logic, you know, you know, Plato said, you know, and what all of these dead men said, uh, that's how most people think of philosophy, including me. I still think like when I hear the word philosophy, I'm like, eh, you know, it, it sounds academic, but pop philosophy to me is just a very day-to-day -day useful way of breaking things down to their essence and questioning them. It, it sounds like, and you were talking about it earlier, you, that, that, the way you make decisions is about understanding the sincerity of it. You know, it's really looking inside yourself and, you know, you're talking about advertising. Mm. You would, I can't remember what you were saying earlier about, you know, it, it, the emails you would write to, to Mark and pe people like that. You know, it just has mm. to be sincere. And, 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 and I think it's such a lesson when, when, when we are sincere, people understand it, you know, and they buy into it mm. because we're sincere. If we're doing something because somebody's told us that's how we can generate revenue, it's just fucking hell, you know. It, it, it's not much fun, is it? <laughs> well, right, but then it's... I, I think it's about getting to the core of why you're really doing anything. Yeah. You know, it's... That's right. This is why... Um, Hmm. Sorry, scratch that last sentence. <laughs> um, but even with, you know, if you're reading a book on marketing, you've got to know why you're doing this in the first place. Like I know some people that are rich and are still pushing to get more money. And I just mean more money. They're just doing stupid investments into cryptocurrency for no other reason than they think that they can turn this $2 into $12. And they're not questioning and, why um, they're doing that. Yeah, well, yeah, they're just like, because you know, because I want more money and I can get a big return from this. Because my ego is being fed think... by this idea that people <laughs> think I'm, I can make money. Great. Fantastic. But it, it, I think it's I think it's coming from people. They don't even like get to that because my ego will be fed. No, it's like they're just kind of not questioning it. 
No. They're just doing it because, well, that's what mm. you do. Huh, you know what? I'd never put these two things together before. It's the, the not questioning it thing that I have a problem with, and that's why I stopped yeah, uh, exactly in 2008 right. yeah, yeah, with yeah, my new company, Muckwork. I sold CD Baby. I started doing Muckwork because that's what you do. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I you have were, an idea you... for a service. I think it'll help people. And, and after a few months, I was like, wait a second. Hold on. Why am I doing this? Just because you know, you're like, good at something. Because it'll help people. Yeah, just because right. you're good at something doesn't mean that's what you should do. Right. Yeah, at that point, I was lacking variety in my life. Yeah. Okay. I was not lacking uh, social praise. I was not lacking money. Yeah. I was not even lacking um, altruism. You know, I was doing a lot of things to help a lot of people. Yeah. Um, but but CD you maybe felt altruistic. It was profitable, but I was doing it for the musicians. Everything yeah. I was doing, you was understood for why them. you were doing in it. Service. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So it's so at that point, I realized what I was lacking in my life was a sense of expanding my self identity and ex yeah. and variety. So at and, that and point, you, you once were, I dug down to the core, it made more sense to stop doing muck work and do something different. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, you you were in a, a form of a rut of some description. <laughs> a positive rut. I mean, yeah, uh, a lot of, you know, it's funny to me, the, seeing the difference between uh, some popular musicians, uh, let's say both of these, actually, you know what, I will use two expired examples, but you'll both get the reference or anybody listening will get the reference. The difference between ACDC and David Bowie, right? So ACDC was, was good at a certain sound that they came up with in, in the mid-70s. <laughs> and they just did that damn thing for like yeah, 50 again years. Again and again and again. Fair enough. And, but, but some people love them for that, and, and apparently the guys in the band have this kind of personality that they were thoroughly happy to just do that one thing for their whole life. They're like, this is it. The audience loves it. We love it. It pays well. People love it. Just do this. Yeah. But then you have David Bowie, who was like, I'm going to play this character for a year or two. Now I'm going to completely change my thing and I'm going to do a complete, I'm going to push myself to do a different style of music I know nothing about and do this thing for a couple of years. Now I'm going to collaborate with this weird yeah. ambient music electronic artist and do this kind of thing for, and kept pushing himself to change constantly. It's just two different personality styles. Yeah, and and and, and, and he, we, we gotta I mean, know that about ourselves. And he's so. He, I mean, I don't want to get onto him because he's, he, he, you know, it's a whole different. But he, th at the end, he lived it as well, didn't he? With his last album, he, mm -hmm. it was it was him. Yeah, he carried and on so to the end. He I wasn't think... doing it for any other reason than he just yeah. got such a massive kick out of what he was doing. He he did it for himself. Hmm. So I think you know you need to know this about yourself that if you are the ACDC type, that's okay. Yeah. <laughs> you know, if you found something you love doing and you just want to keep doing that one thing forever, congratulations. You know, that's that's great. You don't have to feel that that's wrong. That you should have more variety in your life. Um, you just have to kind of just dig in and ask yourself what drives you. I, I've got to ask you a question about how to start a movement because that's when I first. That's when I first discovered Derek Sivers. And I, and I have to tell you, I, I showed it so many times at so many workshops. And hmm. how did that come about? 
I read Seth Godin's book. Um, Purple Cow? Tribes. Oh, Tribes. No, Tribes. Seth, Bowden, Seth Godin had a book called Tribes that I read. And then I read Malcolm Gladwell's book called The Tipping Point. And then just later that year, somebody was sharing this little video of a guy at a concert that started dancing and then lots of people joined him. And the first time I watched it and just kind of laughed and went, huh. And then I thought about it later. I was like, God, that was actually a visual representation of what Seth was talking about in Tribes and what Malcolm Gladwell was talking about in The Tipping Point. Like, I watched a movement happen. So that's kind of what The Tipping Point was about. It's like, how do, how do things get started? How do they tip over into something that catches on to the public interest? And, and Seth with Tribes was like, what makes a leader? What helps people follow? So all I was really doing was taking what I had learned from those two books um, and and pointing out that what happened in this video of the dancing guy was like a visual representation of what these two guys have talked about in their books. Yeah. But along I mean, the way... Oh, oh sorry. Oh, I, oh, but oh, along oh, the way, I... I go oh, ahead. You go, yeah. I, I only noticed one thing that I can take credit for. I, I like stumbled across one... Um, unique realization on the way is I realized like, wait a second, it was actually that first follower. Because if you search YouTube, there's that guy had been dancing for a long time. He'd been dancing for like an hour, just with everybody looking at the stoned guy, the stoned shirtless guy <laughs> dancing like crazy. It wasn't until one guy got up to join him. Yeah, yeah. That's what made it okay. And so, you know, as I looked at it like a third and fourth and fifth time, I was like, ah, oh, that's really the key, isn't it? It's really the first follower that made all the difference. That's the reason everybody else joined was because that one guy joined. And wow, what are the implications of that? So yeah, I just posted that on my blog. Um, and it got some attention, but not that much. But then the TED conference was, um, they were putting on another conference, so they put out the call for speakers. So I just tossed my hat in the ring and said, uh, I could talk about this. And they said, yes, talk about that. So uh, I went on the main stage uh, TED's uh, conference in it, California. It was absolutely brilliant. So I mean, intimidating. I, I, I loved it. Yeah, I bet it was. Yeah, I mean, I loved it so much, though. And you know, if you're listening to this and you, you haven't seen it, just, you know, TED Talk, Derek Sivers, How to Start a Movement, absolutely just... Actually, the better version, go to, to SIVE.RS slash FF as in first follower. That's like the master version of the talk. The one I gave uh, on stage at TED is is not quite as good. I uh, I stumbled a bit, but uh, if you want to see me really nervous on stage, then yes, watch that. <laughs> <laughs> Derek, I think uh, I've learned loads and it's been really intriguing learning about the way you think about scratching away and understanding what's what's actually <laughs> driving you, what's actually making you do stuff. Bringing that to today, you are, you've spent a lot of time focusing on being a parent, as I understand it, and you've been as thoughtful as we would expect you to be about transitioning into that role. Where is your head around the next reinvention of Derek? How, how do you think about that uh, today? I don't. <laughs> I don't know. I honestly don't know. Um... Yeah, right now, all that's driving me is my next book. Uh, it's 
So my next book is called Useful Not True, and I'm just at the beginning stages of writing it right now, and it's an idea that fascinates me. Um, so that's work-wise, that's like all I'm interested in is that uh, I'm not thinking in terms of reinvention right now and not even thinking in terms of big picture of what's next. All I'm, I'm very head down and focused on this book. Can you tell us a bit more about the book? Yeah, sure. Um, if you want a preview, it's actually the, the newest blog posts on my website. If you go okay. to SIVE.RS, at least right now at late 2022, um, my newest blog posts are all around this theme of believing, believing things because they're useful, not because they're true. And so the argument goes, first, you have to break down and point out how little of what we believe is actually true. Um, so much of it is just social invention, right? So uh, first, you have to define true as something that's a, a physical fact, so that a, an alien from another galaxy or uh, a ladybug right now would both agree on it. If <laughs> though That's, to me, my, my uh, qualification for true, meaning remove human uh, interpretation out of it in order for something to be called true. So by this measure countries aren't true. Mm. Uh, there's not a physical border right there uh, that defines this country. It's just companies, people fighting com it at companies some point aren't said, true. Companies aren't companies true. aren't true at all. Mm. It's this social, we, we have these social agreements in order to mm. get along. And but once you start popping that bubble, it can be really a huge relief. If you've stressed yourself out, over concepts like obligation mm. or loyalty or um or even regret you know the past isn't true the past is a very very fictional tale you've told mm. yourself mm. um the future isn't true if you're scared about the future and you're really convinced that it's all going to hell and you're really freaked out about this well you're acting like the future is true but that's just the future is just what we call our imagination and so it really helps to me to have somebody point out that none of this is true. And if you if you're feeling anxiety, it helps to realize that you're just you're just having a bad dream. You know, yeah. it's not true. You can't say that it's like, damn it, Brexit is wrecking everything. It's all going to hell. It's like, no, you're just that's not true. You're just scared. You're imagining you're having a bad dream. Um, so. Um, yeah, so that so the book is basically breakdown to show how many things in our life are, are not true, but then that we can choose to believe things because they're useful to us, not yeah. because they're true. So if you're, if I'm, I've been com programming computers for 18 years now, and if I want to learn a new programming language, it really helps for me to think I'm a total idiot. I know nothing. It helps for me to be an empty cup <laughs> and receive <laughs> the wisdom, uh, without feeling like, yeah, 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 I got this. I know this. Like, no, 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 I know nothing. I'm an idiot. Teach me. But on the other hand, if I was going for a job interview, I would want to believe I'm a master. I got this. <laughs> I am going to help your company so much. Like, that's the belief that it would take. That would be a useful belief if you're going on a job interview. So useful belief if you're learning something new is the opposite of a mm. useful belief a week later if you're going on an interview. We choose to adopt these beliefs because they're useful to us. And if anybody were to point out, like, 
that's not true. You're not an idiot. Uh, or that's not true. You're not going to uh, help this company. It's like, well, shut up. I don't care if it's true or not. It's useful for me to believe. And so I think that that's, that applies in so many other ways in life. Um, and then, and that right makes, now, it's useful for me. Go ahead. So all I was going to say was that, I mean, that is, it just popped into my head. That, I mean, that's, it means we can stop believing those stories if they're not useful. The, the threshold is much lower. Right. Yeah, you have to separate. We, we don't have to be attached to them anymore because actually yeah. I don't think this is going to be useful to me anymore. So let's forget it. Yeah, exactly. That's, so um, that's what my next book's about. It's a fun, 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 fun subject. And in fact, I've it's something I've been thinking about and writing about in between the line for years. Like years ago, I posted an article saying um, men and women are exactly the same. And saying, okay, well, even if they're not, this is a compens compensatory, com compensating, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's a compensating <laughs> uh, belief because we all tend to exaggerate the differences between men and women when in fact the differences between men or let's say the differences among men and the differences among women are much 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 greater than the differences between men and women yeah. so therefore as a way to compensate for your bias it's better to just assume that men and women are exactly the same yeah and so when i posted that somebody said in the comments, you know, but it's not true. They are different. I'm like, I don't care. Doesn't it's matter. The point. That's yeah, yeah. the whole point. It's yeah, useful. That's yeah, that's very... not the point. It's yeah. I love it's, that way. So of I, this has been between the lines of my other writing for years. Yeah. Um, you could even I'm... say it about. You could go back to any of my books and say anything I've written has an element of this useful, not true through it. Which, which is also why you know you you're not an academic in a way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I have no interest in that. I'm I'm really pleased to hear that you're writing that book. One of the conclusions, if we've ever got to a conclusion in the podcasts that we've done so far, is the importance of narratives driving behaviors, beliefs driving mm. behaviors. And it's really interesting because what, what I think you're saying is that you can change your beliefs because most of the beliefs are made up anyway and and, and yeah. beliefs can exist to serve you so if you change the belief to something that serves you well the behaviors will yeah. follow yep. um which feels really Very powerful much. it feels like that's your lived experience as well yeah um what an absolute pleasure derek i've thoroughly enjoyed it, it it's, it's been great i've learned loads um it's, it's just been fantastic uh we we normally close up with where do people find you how do they find out more you are you're right in the corner of the internet there owning your piece aren't you <laughs> not <laughs> well, in a bad way school of me it's no it's it's uh i just keep everything on my site i uh i come from that early days of the internet where we all had our own website and once facebook came along they just had nothing they could offer me uh because i already hosted all my own photos and i was already connected to all of my friends um so yeah you won't find me on social media i mean i might have an account there that echoes something that's on my site but really everybody you know what i'm going to say is not just go to sive.rs go to my website yes but everybody here going back to the beginning of this conversation um send me an email and introduce yourself because honestly that's one of my favorite parts of my job and it's the reason i come on these podcasts is because of the people i meet when i do so oh, i really awesome. love 
hearing from people that like are a fan of you guys and they never heard of me till now and they go to my website and they send me an email and say you know hey i'm a horseshoe maker in scotland and, uh, <laughs> uh, we know. have we have loads of people loads of horseshoe makers from scotland listening. <laughs> i know stuff. you guys are the, the biggest horseshoe maker <laughs> podcast what are those people what is that called what's the name of the job of somebody who makes horseshoe blacksmith is it a farrier? Is there farrier. A more specific? farrier is it i think so farrier I think so. Nice. Good word. We, and Fletcher my... is the name of the person that puts the feathers on the back of the arrow. I learned that one this week. Ah, that's my dream is that we send you a farrier. That's my dream. <laughs> and I'll send you Please. a Fletcher in return. Yeah, okay. Fantastic. Thanks so much, Derek. <laughs> I really do hope we get to meet in person at some point in the future. Um, obviously, if you find yeah. yourself in the UK, then give us a shout. We'll do the same if we're in New Zealand. But absolute pleasure. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Thanks Eric. Really yeah. appreciate it. That's it, folks. For show notes, head over to the website at www.lifedonedifferent.ly where you'll find links, a quick summary, and you can also explore other conversations. If you're enjoying this podcast, then please tell your friends, give us a good rating, and remember to subscribe. We're also really keen to hear your feedback, so please do let us know what you think and give us your ideas over on Twitter. You can tweet us at Life Done Diff, that's double F. 